The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. I am a mechanical engineer, and uh, mechanical engineers that I've met typically are kind of jacks of all trades, um, and they don't like to do redundant work. Some do, but I, I don't like that. I, I, you know, to me, the idea of data entry over and over again, doing the same thing is repulsive. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Peter Serretta who holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and two master's degrees, one in mechanical engineering and another in business administration and management. Peter has worked in multiple industries over the years, including industrial automation, product design, and medical devices, and has a wide variety of skills, including SOLIDWORKS, programming and automation, AI and learning, and entrepreneurship. So Peter, welcome to the show. Aaron, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be on. Um, I've never heard someone uh, introduce me to an audience so well, so thank you. I feel great about myself. <laughs> I, good. I hope you do feel good about yourself. It, you, yeah. it sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. Yeah, well, All right, thankful. well very thankful. First things first, Peter, how did you decide to become an engineer? So, you know, that's a really good question. Um, it's interesting. So I grew up kind of um, with my dad not in the house. That's probably pretty standard nowadays. And uh, the reason why I say that is because, uh, you know, typically when I grew up, you would have a, uh, you know, uh, father figures were more likely to uh, teach you mechanical stuff, I think in general, right? Because back in when they went right. to school, they had, you know, wood shop, they had uh, auto shop. Um, and so I, I kind of grew up with just my mom, and she did a fantastic job. I had a brother. Um, uh, I've got three kids now, and I had no idea how she did it. My mom was actually an entrepreneur um, and uh, you know, single parent. She just did uh, absolutely amazing. So, oh, that's uh, incredible. She'd always tell me, you know, one day I'd appreciate it. And you know, uh, as a rebellious <laughs> young kid, you're like, no, I'm never gonna appreciate it. Well you really get some respect after having your own kids and you get put through the ringer. So, uh, absolutely. Thankful. Yeah. Um, so what was interesting is when I grew up, I had no mechanical aptitude outside of just, uh, enjoying, you know, solving problems, taking stuff apart. And what's interesting is my brother actually was a super mechanical inclined. And, um, I started, uh, you know, my, my grandfather and my father pushed me, um, for education, right? Education was a huge thing growing up. <clears throat> and uh, thankfully, my, my grandfather had uh, purchased us this uh, prepaid college plan, which was super awesome. And uh, Wow, that's incredible. It was, yeah, it was, it was really convenient, right? And, and when I was growing up uh, in Florida, they had a Bright Future Scholarship. You know, if you were basically like a decent student, you can get 75% uh, tuition uh, at a state college or university. And uh um, when I turned 16, um, they were just starting this program where you could actually go to uh, state college or community college full time, right? <clears throat> so it was pretty cool. And I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, just wanted to do it just to get out of high school because uh, I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I would say at 16, I, I had a, you know, uh, I guess aspirations of, you know, uh, doing great things mechanically, you know, making inventions. I got into hydrogen fuel cell technology when I was at that age. Uh, I got into wood gasification, um, you know, a lot of renew renewable energy stuff. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, in college, I thought when I first started, uh, um, you know, I had done this uh, pinnacle program. You go to community college full time um, and basically finish up your high school diploma and get dual credit college and high school. So I actually got to graduate with my associates uh, at my high school graduation for free. That was the best part. I didn't have to pay for it. Um, 
And so I don't think I realized that I wanted to be an engineer until probably two years after I graduated high school. Um, you know, I, uh, I was actually pre-med and uh, my father is in the healthcare industry and I got to, you know, I love the physics. I love the science, um, chemistry, <clears throat> uh, math. I hate it. Well, actually, excuse me, math. I loved, but I was terrible at it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, still am. And, uh, <laughs> so what was cool is, um, I got to differential equations uh, at the same time I was in anatomy and physiology. And, uh, you know, in anatomy and physiology too, we started taking apart cats. And I was like, you know, I don't like taking apart cats. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was different for me because it seemed like the route took more advantage of I want to say just like uh, for me, it was more of memory rather than kind of problem solving. Okay. And um, so I was in differential equations and I had this awesome uh, French teacher. Uh, this was at Emory Riddle. Um, uh, but I was, he was a, he was a professor at Emory Riddle, but I was taking differential equations at Daytona state college where he taught. Right. And we had a group of misfits in the class. Uh, and there was a couple of, you know, young guys in there and we had this, this really cool electrical engine, you know, aspiring electrical engineer. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he, I didn't even know what engineers did actually when I was in, in that class, like it, as crazy as it might sound. Um, and they so, run trains, you know, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, mechanical <laughs> engineers work on cars, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it was funny cause he started talking about all the problems he wanted to solve. And I was like, wait a minute, I want to solve some of those problems. Oh, um, and the lights went on. And all of a sudden, this right. is what I was meant to do. Exactly. I can solve these hydrogen fuel cell problems and yep. renewable energy. Right. Okay. Yep. And so then um, I decided, I was like, ah, you know, that sounds like it might be for me. And somehow I wound up going into uh, environmental engineering uh, as a, I majored in it, changed my major. And uh, at some point in that process, after about a year, I'm like, you know what, this isn't it. Like, it's not electrical, it's not environmental. And um, I was looking at UNF, which had a hydrogen fuel cell and solar panel, uh, you know, R&D, uh uh work going on and i i was just like and i started looking at the curriculum i'm like wow this looks awesome i want to do that and uh i did it and you know i thank the lord for it because it's one of the best decisions i ever made in my life to become a mechanical engineer what what did you see in the curriculum that was like yeah that's what i want to do this is exciting Oh, man, it was just, you know, uh, you know, classes on all of the different physics branches you can think of. So fluids, thermodynamics, um, system dynamics, modern computational methods, chemistry, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, what else? Uh, transport, you know, all, all of these uh, awesome things, you know, um, that, you know, you take a you take a shallow dive into in your physics course. But, you know, these are actual classes on it, and, uh, you know, I, I just was captivated by it. Um, and I thought I was going to go to UNF to actually go study hydrogen fuel cells and solar panels, and that didn't even come, you know, I wasn't even close to doing that. Um, uh, so it was an interesting experience. So if you have to look at it, I kind of went pre-med, environmental, and then mechanical. And uh, I'm so thankful that somehow I wound up in this field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how we, we tend to find the right fields for the skill sets that we, we just naturally intrinsically have. Um, yep. Tell me, tell me a little bit about one of the first companies that you worked for Safarland. Uh, when I saw, first saw the company, I, I thought to myself, what, this is some kind of like African safari or, but that's not what it is at all. So to, to tell us a little bit about what the company is and, and kind of what your role was there and, and some of the projects maybe that you worked on. Definitely. So I can <clears throat> definitely um, uh, concur with the surprise that you have when you hear the name, right? 
Right. What was funny was I was interning at J and J Vision Care in Jacksonville um, in R and D, and I got a call from a job recruiter, and they said, "Hey, you know, we're with Safari Land, and you know, we we saw your resume, and we were wondering if you're interested in this role." And I'm like, "Safari Safari Land? I'm thinking like it's like a, I don't know, like a zoo or something." Yeah, like, yeah. Safari Land B. Not uh, What is this about? You know. <laughs> By God's grace, I didn't hang up, um, and I asked them, you know, uh, about the role, and it turned out it was actually a really interesting opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I interviewed, uh, got the role, and Safari Land is is an amazing company. Um, <clears throat> they manufacture all sorts of, I guess you call it defense equipment for, um, you know, uh, soldiers, police. Uh, you know, anything from body armor to ballistic plates to batons, ladders, shields, uh, helmets. Um, and uh, something that they were really good at, which I haven't seen since I was there, was um, plant acquisitions and relocations. Hmm. And their whole operational strategy around that, they were huge on acquisitions. And they were huge on lean manufacturing. Have you heard of lean manufacturing? Sure. Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't know the details about it. Kind of the the Toyota way everyone talks about. Um, But uh, that's really where I, as a process engineer, and was able, yeah, and a manufacturing engineer, because it was was like a process slash manufacturing. I was basically tasked with looking at the current state of the manufacturing environment and uh, continuously improving it, whether it was to increase quality, decrease cost, <clears throat> or increase throughput. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I worked with some great people there, uh, and I haven't found a company that was as organized and disciplined and execution of continuous improvement as safari land i i love hearing about organization and execution these are buzzwords for me tell tell me a little bit more about that uh what what are some of the tools that you that they used or the strategies to keep themselves really organized and to ensure that they they actually executed on their ideas yeah <clears throat> well Lean was a culture. Uh, Lean manufacturing was a culture there, and it was purposeful and intentional. And um, what what they had was a system of sustainment to basically sustain that culture and uh, grow it, augment it. Right. Um, So, as an engineer, they would any engineer they would onboard, they would send to probably five weeks of lean training at the lean consortium of jacksonville um and they had that was just to get kind of the basics to give you like a working knowledge of lean to identify waste to figure out how to do continuous improvement um and they had tools like the lean steering committee where we would have a project list and we would decide objectively what projects for the plant we want to go after which was really useful because a lot of times when you get into um, uh, you know groups in a manufacturing environment and you're tasked with improving that, it, it gets challenging to decide what to go after because there's usually so much opportunity. And so something that they were really good at was turning the subjective into objective through a scorecard and allowing the group to make a decision that they can feel good about, you know, based on numbers, not just based on gut feel. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And that takes away uh, any kind of uh, typically uh, lack of confidence or understanding and why that route was chosen. Um, uh, I I have a question for you. Sure. Um, So when uh, I worked at a company before my own company as a project engineer, 
And I can't remember exactly what the situation was then, but we, we had sure. to make a decision, you know, do A or B or C. Sure. And we came up with a scorecard, right? This was for a, a medical device that we were developing. So we came up with this scorecard. There were, you know, two or three of us engineers and a project manager all sat down, uh, wrote out the criteria, the metrics that we were going to use to evaluate. And we came up with a score and uh, we said, okay, th this is this is the decision we're going to make. It's it's B. We're going to do B. Right. And we presented that to the customer. And the customer said, I don't think we should do B. I want to do A. <laughs> and we said, well, I mean, we, we went through this exercise. We really think B is the right thing to do. I mean, look at the numbers we have in here. We put a lot of thought into this. And he says to us, I don't care about the numbers that you put in there. My gut is telling me A is what we need to do. Right. So. How do you respond to you know to to a comment like that? Well, I, I you know I'm a small business owner too, or uh, maybe you had a big business. I don't know, um, but uh, you know I think in that scenario you would have had a column, or you know you essentially made one with with or without physically making it that said you know is the customer aligned right, and that could have been a <laughs> one or a two, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, or a zero or one and um, you know, when you're in a small business environment like that, you can't do anything without the customer's blessing. Um, right. So, but, you know, um, I think that, that one of the challenges is, you know, you typically do something like this to gather agreement, right, from the majority. Yeah. So part of the discipline is at the outset, getting everyone you know maybe do a brainstorming session hey what matters to us right what are those what are those scorecard categories um and I, I have a really good story about this um we had a project in my current role where we had to select a vendor right and we got down to three of these vendors and it was just it was there was no it was such a hard decision because they were all so good at what they did and they presented so well and um i was scratching my head about it and i, I went to the break room just to grab coffee i saw my buddy in there <clears throat> and i you know i just i just mentioned it to him i was like you know what do you think about this and he's you know he had a really a great tip of advice and that was um see, see we were really happy with all the performance except one of the vendors was a little bit newer to the scene and we we were kind of feeling but not able to communicate that we were uh, not as confident in their ability to deliver or support us as the other two vendors. So he he said, you know, Pete, why don't you just make a seven point scorecard um, for the vendor engagement, right? And that and so once we did that, it became clear, like, no, we can't we can't select these guys because if you evaluate them in that vendor engagement scorecard against these other two vendors, you know, they're kind of getting blown out of the water. So interesting. So the the numbers made it very clear that this is the right vendor to to go with, or at right. least this vendor is not the right vendor to go with. Right. And we had to get that feedback loop from outside of our group of one of those attributes or one of those columns that mattered. Right. Um, and so it's always good to get, you know, a fresh set of eyes on something to say, does this jive? You know, does it make sense? Yeah, <clears throat> no, that's a great story. Yeah, we we get tunnel vision. I, I do more than anybody because I, I love, you know, getting deep in the details. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have another question for you about a different company where you were GE Oil and Gas, uh, yep. where you did, I guess, quite a bit of programming and automation. Um, right. uh, one of the things that you automated was a CAD model creation. I guess you, you wrote like a Visual Basic program that yeah. automated the the creation of CAD models. Um, tell me a little bit about that. How, how how do you automate the creation of a CAD model? Yeah. So so what's um beautiful with SolidWorks. I don't know if your audience is familiar with SolidWorks, but SolidWorks is a 3D uh, CAD platform, computer-aided design platform. And uh, it's even more than that now. You can do um, physical simulation through like stress analysis, fluid dynamic modeling, 
Um, there's even electrical routing you can do in it. So it's a, it's a pretty amazing engineering tool. And um, SolidWorks, one of the neat things with it is that you can actually tie into what's called the advanced programming interface. <clears throat> the advanced programming interface, um, and you know, I'm not a programmer, so I might, I might be getting that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's API, advanced programming interface. Um, <clears throat> uh, you can, you can basically, you know, um, get into this library of commands. Uh, uh, it's an object-oriented programming language uh, of your choice. Uh, but the, the the model or the language that I chose was Visual Basic, and um, basically, if your CAD models are parametric, like you know, you have a widget, right, and you have dimensions A, B, C, D, E, right, right, and your product offering is variations of the same parametric uh, relationships, but with the values A, B, C, D, E changing. Okay. A might be the length, B might be the height, uh, C might be the width. Um, you can actually turn those into uh, equations that you can then tap into with the uh, API and you can say, hey, take this table that has those values in it and generate me, you know, an infinite number of solid models. Um, and then you do that and then you say, OK, now I want an infinite number of these uh, mechanical design drawings. Really? <laughs> so you can yeah. automate the creation of the drawings as well. You can. Yeah. I mean, you can't do it. I wasn't able to do it, uh, you know, as well as I can do it personally. Um, but for big bulk projects where you just have, uh, you know, basically the same thing, but just little parametric variations, okay. it's, it's a huge time saver. Like, um, and <clears throat> I don't even know if they wound up going with that. But when I left that role, I had just created a bunch of assemblies for them. What we were trying to do before I left was actually automate what's um, the the mating of the parts or okay. the assembling of the parts in 3D. Really? Yeah, and I, and I think honestly that is probably going to be coming soon with what I've seen with um you know, now we have the cloud infrastructure, you're able to put so much horsepower behind AI that you know, they have these optimization programs now for instance for like Fusion 360. Uh, I can't even remember the name of the Fusion 360 program, but basically you can, you know, say I have an endpoint here, I have an endpoint here, here's the load, you know, generate me, uh, you know, uh, infinite number of these parts that work for this condition and, you know, optimize the weight and uh, the um, topology of it. <clears throat> and it's, it's pretty amazing. And I think we're going to see more of that. Um, I'm talking about, I, I can't remember the name of it either at this moment, but uh, it, it produces this almost, um, it's almost like, and it, there you go. Yeah, generative design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? How did you, how did you start the, uh, the automation of these? I mean, did someone ask you to do that or were you just working and realized, you know, all these things are mostly the same. I bet there's a better way to create all these, these parts yeah. and drawings. That's a great question, Aaron. So, so, uh, I am a mechanical engineer and, uh, mechanical engineers that I've met typically are kind of jacks of all trades. Um, and they don't like to do redundant work. Some do, but I, I don't like that. I, I, you know, to me, the idea of data entry over and over again, doing the same thing is repulsive. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's inspired me to figure out easy ways to do things. And I know there's probably a bunch of people listening that have done this. Um, so when I was an intern at J&J, &J, we had this big data migration project. Uh, I was in my master's program at UNF for mechanical engineering and I just got married. Um, and, uh, I came home one day and I told my wife, I'm like, they want me to put in numbers uh, in a spreadsheet for like the next, you know, we calculated it would take three years to get the job done. Wow. Manually, right. And I'm like, 
There's no way. We can't do it. <laughs> I can't do this. That sounds <laughs> and, uh, torturous. Yeah, and uh, my, my poor wife, she's been watching me work on this stuff. You know, coming home and running simulations and programs on my computer. But um, that was what first drove me to learn programming. Uh, you know, I took C back in high or, uh, college, but I actually learned VBA for that role for the data migration project. And we were actually able to condense the project down to three months. Um, three years to three months. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, that was where really I started seeing the power of programming and automation. Um, yeah. And in that role is actually when I started my company. Um, and it, it was the, you know, there was this program. Uh, so, so we, this is a really interesting story. So we had these guys come in. And we wanted them to help us with the data migration, right? And they wanted to charge us like $100,000. And and um, and I was looking at what they were doing, and I was just awe, in awe, right? Like, oh, this is so cool. And we were basically just doing macros, right? And so really it was just, you know, not wanting to be in the pain of doing it manually. And, uh, you know, I wanted to I – was, I was doing my master's degree, and I had homework to do, and, you sure. know uh, – I couldn't see doing that. So, um, and you know, something that drives me, um, if people say, you know, it's a bad idea and I know it's a good idea or no, it's a bad idea and it won't work. That gives me a lot of fire to just do it just to prove them to wrong. prove them wrong. Right. Challenge accepted. Right. Right. I'm pretty competitive. Um, um, been that way my whole life. And, uh, you know, it's it's been good because a lot of times people just don't know, and so you have to prove it to them. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. I'm sure your employers love that, right? <laughs> I think they do. Yeah, I've I've got to watch what I say. Uh, <laughs> and being a small, you know, having my own company, um, it's it's a little weird. Um, uh, it's it's a little odd having to be in a, a role where you're you just got to say yes sir or you know yeah, right. as you wish yeah um, where you know i have employees uh in my company that i just i just tell them what they want what i want you know uh and i'm, I'm on the other side of that sure so it's uh it's an interesting dynamic and i think uh you know i think uh i'm growing in it but you know there's a there's a personality type I think that comes with strengths and weaknesses for entrepreneurship, um, and you know one of the fun experiences with having that having that uh, mindset is that you can actually kind of entrepreneur in a corporation um, if they give you enough flexibility, right? And you can sure. solve problems, and that's been one of the best things with my role is um, you know my my. They give me so much freedom. Uh, it's enough freedom to to kind of uh, you know succeed or fall on your face, but you know that's that's life. <clears throat> and um, you know uh, I've got I've got a great mentor, uh, Ed Kernick, and uh, I think he did an interview with you. And uh, uh, one of the one of the best engineers I've ever met in my life. Uh, one of the best guys. Um, and. Uh, you know, he's probably saved me years in, uh, you know, in acclimating to the culture of my current role. And, uh, uh, you know, he's what's really great about him is that he's the kind of manager that or, you know, that will be in battle with you, if that makes sense, where, uh, you know, he'll be in the trenches. Right. This guy's an engineer. Um, he can do everything that I can do and he can do a lot of stuff better than I can do. And so that's. That's really who I think you want mentoring you um, and really leading people because uh, I think a lot of times you, you get management that uh, may not really understand a role or, you know, the, the work of a role. And so they don't know how to, how to properly appraise it. Um, yeah, we, we have some customers and um, typically we're working with the engineers, not the project managers. And, sure. and at, at a few of our customers, uh, they have project managers who aren't engineers themselves. And it can be difficult to work a project when the project manager doesn't really understand 
you know, from an engineering standpoint, what needs to go into the development of, of, of a new project. Project right. managers are really good at understanding budget and schedule and scope. Yep. Uh, but if they don't Sometimes have that, not, that actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it's well, well the good ones at least are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, contrasting that with, uh, we also have customers where the project managers are engineers, and they are so much easier to work with. You know, um, if if uh, of course we don't like when this happens, but every now and then um, the the budget gets exceeded because things came up during the course of R and D and development that just nobody right. foresaw. And with the with the non-engineered PMs, it, it's kind of a battle to um, uh, to get more funding to to finish a project. Sure. Whereas with the engineering project managers, that you know they kind of get it. They still don't like it, but they're like, okay, yeah, this is part of development. I, I get it, you know. So yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, that's exciting that you're in a role. I heard you mention R and D. Um, that's exciting that you're kind of you must be in a scenario where you're having to kind of deliver. But at the same time, do a little bit of R and D to deliver, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, yep. Those are the the best projects. Also, you know, the most stressful. You can do what you want with the stress, but those usually produce the most results. I feel like because you have pressure to deliver quick, right? And right you know, with quality, but you have unknowns, and you have to yep. you have to be you have to engineer through those, right? Exactly. You know, and that's that's actually a good point. So my current role, that's all we do. It's, you know, we in customer experience, um, we look at opportunities that are going on right now, you know, from a quality stand, uh, quality system standpoint, and we say, what can we do right now to fix these problems? And what does that mean? Well, it means you got to be creative, you got to be disciplined, and you got to be quick, right? Right. And, and uh, you know, some roles within larger medical device companies uh, or in general, you know, people sometimes talk about how cush they are, um, you know, and <laughs> my role is not that, uh, but it's a great role. And I love yeah. my role. Case in point, you just team. told me about the very late night you had working through some engineering problems. That is not right. cush. Right, right, right. But you know what? It, it makes me feel... Um, I, I don't have to question if I worked hard or did a good job. Yeah, so yeah. There's I just a sense got of fulfillment out. there for sure. Right. The, I do have to manage and balance though, right? So I have I've got three kids, you know. Uh, I've got three kids under four, and uh, you know, um, I tend to do things in bursts. So I'll like go really hard at work for a time, whatever that bracket is, until I deliver, and then I'll slow down. You know, um, and so, you know, I'm trying to grow out of that into a more kind of steady state as I get older. But Tell me a little bit about uh, about your company, because you you have a really interesting situation. You both work full time at J&J and you have your own company. Um, uh, so uh, the, the 3D connectors. Tell me a little bit about that. How did it get started? Yeah. What do you guys do there? So. So that's an amazing company. We do amazing work. Um, and uh, what's so interesting is uh, that company I started uh, when I was doing my internship um, in R&D at J&J. And what happened was I had finished engineering school in 2011. Uh, and I got out and really Jacksonville was just recovering from the recession, right? So I got out my first job in the engineering world. I was making like 14 bucks an hour. Like, I think you could like work at Wendy's right now for more than that much money. And, uh, and get free lunch. And you get free lunch. Benefits, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so anyway, so I worked two years at that first role. And um, I started my master's, got the internship at J&J. And at that time, you know, I was kind of working part-time as an intern. I was making more money as a part-time intern at J&J than I was as a full-time project engineer, you know, doing international business uh, and, and um, uh, capital equipment, you know, project engineering uh, at this small firm I worked at, um, which was IBC. Uh, and so 
I was in this role. I was just about to get married at, at um, Johnson and Johnson. I was in my master's and I was like, I looked back, I was just thinking back to, you know, college and high school and I had been starting organizations my whole and at some point it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. I've started multiple organizations and handed them off. Now I have to like beg for work or hope, hope that work's going to come in. And I have all these skills and, you know, I can go do anything really. And so I was motivated just to start a business, start figuring it out. And um, it was really the the uncertainty of that time and the, the thought of how ridiculous it was that I went to school for four years. <clears throat> uh, really, I went much longer than that. But, uh, you know, and I'm I'm in a position of, you know, I'm on the, the lower end of the bargaining um, table, you know, um, and I thought, why would I do that? So let's start a company, which I've started many organizations. Let's start a company and let's see if we can do something. So I started that company in 2014 uh, with the intent just to do project engineering, just like I did, right? Um, basically to outsource it. I was actually going to go back to my old employer and see if they just wanted a contract with me because I had good standing. And um, uh, at some point when I was at J&J, we had discovered, we were working on this migration project and I, we found this software, it's called Macro Express, right? And Macro Express is a really cool software. It's like training wheels for programming. Okay. Um, and it's it's almost like you can do um, uh, block diagram logic programming. Neat. And uh, it, it, yeah, it was easy, right? And you can you can really uh, you can do it um, efficiently and quickly, and you didn't have to know a lot. And so I thought that software was awesome, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna sell this software with my company. And that's how my company got into software sales. Didn't sell a single copy. Uh, <laughs> and I was getting ads from Pandora to sell MakerBot 3D printers. You remember MakerBot 3D printers, sure. right? Sure, yeah. Um, and I was like, what the heck? Why don't I just try to sell 3D printers? I'm not selling software. Um, and uh, so we sent in a reseller agreement or, uh, or an application got the reseller agreement uh, we were ecstatic we filed a dba a doing business as fictitious name for the company um we called it the 3d connectors and um we got MakerBot and didn't sell any MakerBots ever <laughs> in the history of the company so and no software no MakerBots. No. The 3d connectors is off to a roaring start what what happens next so 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 it's beautiful so so I don't know if I'm an opportunist or whatever, but I said, crap, we're not selling any MakerBot 3D printers. They're going <laughs> to dump us soon. We need to go convince all their competition that they need to sell through us too, or, you know, or not really sell through us, but maybe have the potential to sell through us. Okay. And, uh, so we went on a brand acquisition campaign, not like acquiring the companies, but just to get new brands to sell. Um and we added probably like 10 to 20 different vendors, right? And I'm paying people overseas to do the website. I'm doing the website. Um, I'm calling, you know, I'm doing all these agreements, uh, not actually making any money whatsoever. But spending uh, some. Spending some, absolutely. Uh, first year, we lost nine grand. Um, so then, yeah. So what happens is we get this company called PrinterBot, right? And, and PrinterBot, was our first real break because PrinterBot would not give hard quotes to government. Um, they they said, look, you have to buy through our shopping cart. We're not going to give you a quote, right? So we were on their website. So what does that mean? That meant that they, all the government customers could come to us and say, hey, you were on the website. They couldn't give us a quote. Couldn't you give us a quote, right? Oh, so wow. now we got it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so we're, we're, we're selling PrinterBots. Uh, like hotcakes and uh yeah we're not making hardly any money but we're making some money um so we we then took that and we you know we, we just tried to amplify what we were doing and long story short in 20 
16, we got a cold call um, from someone saying, hey, you should take your 3D printers and go sell them on the GSA schedule. Are you familiar with the GSA? This is some kind of government contracting right. list, right? General Service Administration. Um, and I don't usually take sales calls like that or soliciting. And, and by God's grace, I took this one. And it was a really interesting proposition. The proposition was give us $6,000 and we'll get we're guarantee you government work. And we, we had some money in the bank. We had grown from just selling 3D printers. Um, I think that year we were up to like 300K in sales and we were selling all sorts of crap. Nice. Uh, basically contract manufacturing, uh, 3D print, 3D printers. And um, we said, you know, what the heck? We have some money in the bank. This might work. And we, we called a bunch of their, you know, um, clients and they said, yeah, it's a great thing. So we, we did it, right? And a year later, we actually got a contract for the GSA schedule. And that changed the entire focus of our company and the revenue stream to government, right? So now the company was entirely focused and still is focused entirely on government 3D printing solution sales. And it's printers, it's um, bill of material um, reverse engineering for additive. Uh, that's where we, you know, we might go look at military parts like the, I think it's C2 Hawkeye or the E2 Hawkeye. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're going to say, hey, here's our, here's our bill of materials. What can you 3D print on this list, right? And it's more oh. complex than that. But, um, you know, we've really led uh, printer sales with the government um, and dominated the desktop uh, channels. Um, How interesting. And, yeah. And so our, our leaders in those sales are Lulzbot. If anyone ever needs a Lulzbot, you know, uh, we, we're one of their biggest sellers, um, and, and we really seeded them to the government. Um, and then we also created the demand for the Fusion 3D printer, not the HP Fusion. There's a, a, a Fusion Design 3D printer, and it's, um, it's, it's kind of like, a I would say, a prosumer industrial kind of it, – it's a business printer. It's not really for like the hobbyist, and it's got a large build volume. Um, What's that created, called again? Uh, that's the Fusion F406. Let me check real quick. That's something I want to check out for my own company. That sounds yeah. If it if it's similar at all to the HP Fusion machine, that oh no be no useful. no, it's not not even close. A very different machine, huh? Yeah yeah, Fusion. Yeah. Let me just check. I know we got them on our website. But, um, you know, what we're really trying to do with that company now is I'm just an advisor, and I, I sold half of it um, in 2016, and I got some great partners. Um, and so now I'm, I'm just kind of helping set the strategic vision. It's it's the Fusion 3 F410. Um, <clears throat> but what we're trying to do now is, one, expand government sales, and two – um, um, <clears throat> get back in a private sector. So we've been on hiatus from private sector sales. Um, and we're trying to pull in talent that we can have synergies with. Um, we're, we're looking at merging with a company in Texas right now. We're selling. And, um, you know, they're basically a big engineering company. Um, and we have uh, synergistic product offering and kind of skill set, right? Yeah, that's so they fantastic. Do services, yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been interesting. Yeah. Well, um, Peter, I don't want to take too much of your time today, so I sure. think we'll we'll start wrapping it up here. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe one one more question for you. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have at work? This is something I ask everyone, and I think it's an interesting question because we, we can all learn something from this. But what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you encounter at work? That's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, toxic people are everywhere. We can even be toxic ourselves at times. Um so navigating through kind of the 
the effects of potential toxicity to get the work done in an effective way where everyone's happy, right? <clears throat> so you're, you're going to have people that are hard to work with at every company, especially in technical roles. Yeah. Sounds like and, dealing with politics almost. Yeah, politics. You know, thankfully, I've I've uh, I've got a good mentor who I get to kind of uh, I guess you know uh, duck under him and not take any of that fire yet. I think yeah. as I get promoted, I'll I'll start taking more of that. Um, but I think that uh, managing perspective uh, and perception, you know, uh, no matter what you do, if someone who matters thinks it's B and you think it's A, you have to do the hard work of convincing them that it's A, right? Yeah, yeah. Whatever that looks like. Um, you can't just say, you know, that's not important because it really is important. You could get fired uh, because someone has a, a misconception about the work you do. Um, and uh, so you've actually uh, got to experience both sides of that, right? Because you are an employee at J and J, and so yeah. if your boss says it's A, you can't really say no, it's B. You have to go along with A. But right. you also are uh, now an advisor, but you know previously a, a, an owner of the 3D connectors, and so you were the one that got to say it's A. And if if your employees didn't agree, well, they, too bad for them. What uh, maybe what lessons have you taken uh, getting to see both sides of those equations in terms of dealing with people? Well, you you definitely so the plus side of it, uh, and I'm actually I'm still an owner, so I'm like an owner advisor, um, and so I still actually um, have conversations with the employees. And, Got it. Uh, okay. Um, I think one of the most wonderful parts about that role is uh, um, you can show a little bit of mercy, like, you know, right. That makes everybody feel good. But yeah, example is um, we have this employee, Joe Bell, and she's based in the Philippines and she has been with us for over a year. Uh, she's basically running the entire administrative side of the business in the back of the house okay uh, she's she's a mom she's got um she's about to have another baby right so something really nice is we can really treat her well like so we said you know i spoke with my partner and i was like hey chabelle you know we got to give her time off and let's give her a bonus right <clears throat> and you know uh it it's good to be able to surprise people with kindness um, and, you know, and then sometimes, you know, you may or may not get that in your role or my role working as an employee, right? Yeah, that's so, huge. I, I love that. It's good to be able to surprise people with kindness. What what a, yeah. a huge management tip there. Right. And, you know, so we, you know, I had to convince my partner and I was like, yeah, you know, what about like four to eight weeks, maybe time off paid? Uh, that's and, a big deal. Are you yeah, kidding me but, for a mom know, that yeah wow and and you know what here's what i've learned um you cannot pay enough and i heard this and it clicked with me right when i heard it but it's even more evidence now you can't pay good people enough because they bring they, they carry their own weight yeah right yeah so you know that's where we're really trying to grow right now is Finding talent that is looking for the opportunity, right? We don't want to cycle through people. We want to hire one person and have them stay with us forever and have them grow, right? Absolutely. That's the yeah. best scenario we can possibly have. Um, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, those people are hard to find. And so so we are totally, uh, you know, in our company operationally, and I and I think this goes for J and J too. J and J is more top heavy, um, and you know, way more further along than we are. But we're trying to set up a culture uh, with a long term vision that's built on employees being happy that stay, right? Yeah. Because if you can't keep your employees happy, you know, you, you one, you're going to have a miserable workplace. They're not going to be as productive. Um, but two, what's the point? Like, you know, <laughs> like I can go to work and I can, you know, whatever happens, happens. But, you know, I don't want my employees to 
to, you know, I want them to get healthy grief, right? Uh, to produce, right? Because they're in sure. it with us. We're depending yeah. on them. They're depending on us. But at the same time, it's just it's just really a good feeling uh, to be in both sides, right? Um, yeah. We, we have a few core values at Pipeline, and, and the first and foremost is we treat our customers well, but we treat our team members better. And yeah. I think it, it speaks exactly to what you're saying. It's creating that culture where people enjoy being there, right? Because right. if you don't enjoy, you spend so much, such a large percentage of your time at work. If you're not enjoying it, uh, you know, why be there? Why? Yeah, what's the point? And, you know, she's got this beautiful family she's growing. You know, we're happy for her. And, uh, you know, that that just, it was, it was really a blessing to us to be able to be in a position to do that. And it was actually from her hard work and our hard work, so. That's that's awesome, man. I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Peter, um, we should wrap it up. Thank you so much again for for being with us today and Thank sharing you. all your experiences yeah. and stories. This has been awesome. Um, yeah, man. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, maybe they want to learn more about J&J or maybe they want to learn more about how to buy 3D printers from the 3D connectors. Yeah. How, how can people get a hold of you? Well, definitely check out our website at www.the3dconnectors.com. And uh, definitely check out my LinkedIn. Um, as we're kind of going down the road with my personal company, we're going to be looking at getting into more um, engineering services. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at artificial intelligence um, as, a, as a service. We don't know if we're going to do that yet. But um, I'm interested to find out if any of you guys out there need any machine vision um, AI advice. I'd be really interested to talk to you about that. So you can get me on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out and, you know, maybe I could just help you get to where you're going. But, uh, uh, you know, in the past year at J&J, I've learned a ton about the landscape. And obviously I can't give you any of the secret sauce, um, but I could certainly, uh, you know, give you some general information and tips that will save you time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, there you go. Peter Serretta, expert on AI and machine learning. Give him a shout. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.